0: And like a strong man runs its course with joy, its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. This is God's word. Thanks, Peter. All right, if you guys would uh, pray with me one more time, and then we'll get popping. Father in heaven, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for everyone who has uh, graced us with their presence this evening. Uh, we thank you for this building and the air conditioning that keeps us cool on a particularly hot day. Lord, I, uh, I just pray that your spirit would be present with each of us, that you would just help us to be receptive, uh, not to my words, Lord, but to the words that you have uh, prepared for us, that it would be a message that would bring us comfort and strength and joy, uh, being just covered in this beautiful good news that you have proclaimed and that you have called us to share with you as uh, fellow proclaimers. So uh, help us to receive this good news in our minds and, more importantly, in our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by talking about a TV show called Succession. Now, I don't know anything about Succession. I've never watched it before. A lot of people have told me this is a very good show. I'll be honest, I'm not even sure if I should be talking about a show like this from the pulpit. I don't know if it's a TVMA show. I don't know if it's inappropriate. I don't know anything about this show. But I have been told by about half a dozen people that it's a really great show. And I I think it probably is. I think my life would probably be better if I watched this show. But I also don't feel like it's necessary. I don't feel like, uh, like my life is gonna fall apart without it. I feel like uh, if I can make time for succession, it might be a great thing. But if I can't, maybe it's all right. Maybe uh, succession isn't what I need to, uh, to thrive and to survive. That's how I feel about succession. I'm sure it's great. HBO Max makes some great shows. And I think that uh, when we consider this idea of good news, it, it kind of comes across like a TV show. And I think that many people in the world kind of see it like that. We, we as Christians, we have built our lives around this idea of good news. There is this great beautiful, perfect truth that rings throughout the universe and we've built our lives on it. We're willing to die for it, but we're also willing to live very long lives serving this one key truth. But if we're true to our background and maybe we acknowledge things like, well, I mean, I was also raised as a Christian or, you know, Jesus came to me during a really personal time in my life. It can be challenging to think that this good news is more than just succession, just something that we found a lot of personal joy and happiness in, but that isn't really necessary for the world around us. Maybe if our unbelieving friends and coworkers and family members believed in the good news, just like if they watched succession, maybe their lives would get better Maybe good things would happen. Maybe they'd find more joy or satisfaction in life. Or maybe they don't need it after all. So the question we are going to kind of wrestle with now is, how can we actually see this good news that we believe in, that we've built our lives around, that we're willing to die for, that we're willing to live decades for, as not just a great TV show, or a wonderful personal experience, but something that is echoing throughout the universe, not just in our ears, but for literally every human being in the world. How can we do that? I think we'll try. My, my, uh, my kind of basis, my foundation for, for, our, for my message tonight is this that there are two different unique stories being told in the world around us. And these are stories that anyone with eyes can witness, that you don't need to be a, a, a religions major at, in college, or you don't need to be a particularly astute sociologist. If you're just awake and conscious to the world around you, You can see these two stories. And I'll say again, you don't need to be a theologian to understand these stories that we're living in. You just need to be a human. So here's the first of the two stories it's called The Glory. This is where we, of course, come to the passage that Peter read for us from Psalm 19. Very, very uh, popular passage here. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Now this is from the book of Psalms, so it's literally a song written by King David, who's a pretty important figure in the Old Testament. And yeah, this isn't a narrative, this isn't a history passage, it's literally a song that was written for the people of God to gather and sing aloud together. It was a, this was a, a statement of worship to be made to God. It's talking about how the whole world around us, from the skies to the stars, to the mountains, to the ground beneath them, are just covered with the fingerprints of God, and they're all pointing out his tremendous glory. This is a song of glory. And honestly, we can all see it. Even if we strip away the religious framework which we use to see the world around us, we can all see something glorious in this world. It's hard to explain objective beauty when you don't believe in objective realities, but we see it as being there. It's not just that there's these glimpses of nature that we're drawn to. It's that we're, we're actually called into these places where we see glory. All of creation, from the galaxies above us to the microorganisms, are singing a song without words, and we're enchanted by it. I mean, think of how drawn we are to the enchanting world around us, whether it's whether it's the view that we get to enjoy after a long hike, or whether it's a monument of human creativity like a skyscraper or a piece of art or a really, really good film. Everyone here, it doesn't matter if you're religious or not, everyone knows what it feels like to see a beautiful sunset and just pause for a moment. We commonly point out planets in the sky when they're only visible for a small period of time. Oh, shoot, there's Saturn or or whatever. You know, like, imagine if, like, in the middle of dinner after service tonight, a bald eagle just like landed on the, on the sill outside and just chilled there. Like everyone would take notice of that. Nobody would be like, ah, whatever. And yes, I understand we're well outside of their territory. Like think of how drawn we are to this idea of marveling. Think about how many people will literally spend lots of money and do a lot of traveling because they wanna go somewhere where they're gonna marvel, where they're gonna be swallowed up by something entirely bigger than they are. I mean, like for me, when I think about this, like this might sound kind of strange, but I, I marvel when I get tiny little cuts on my hands or on my legs not because there's anything positive about that, but because I know that they're gonna heal. And that's crazy to me, that there's something working biologically inside of me that is going to sew me back together, just automatically. Sometimes leave little little marks of God's fingerprints just showing where he was. Like I, I marvel sometimes when I get a cold because I know that unless something goes terribly wrong a week or two weeks from that point, I'm not going to feel anything that I'm feeling right now. And that's amazing that we can just find ourselves with our health being challenged, but only for it to correct itself eventually. This story of glory that we're enchanted by is because just like we were talking about with the kids, we, we see like everything in the world as this sky full of a thousand moons, and all of them are reflecting this light from the one most beautiful God, the creator, the one that the entire universe revolves around. And even beyond nature, like just naturally, we find ourselves enthralled by life by relationship and, and experiences and, and feeling and love. Like, all these things, they just they make life worth living. We think of the, the beautiful, untapped potential of life. Like, think about when you, when you hold a baby or when you see someone, like a good friend, who has a baby for the first time, and you just think, like, the untapped potential that this child's life has. The world will be their oyster. So many good things could be waiting for them in the years to come. The world around us is full of glory and it's incredible. But in the words of the esteemed theologians from the Wu-Tang Clan, can it be that it was all so simple? And it's not. So this is the second story that again, we're just as familiar with, the groaning, the groaning. Now I take that phrase from a passage from Romans eight, the full passage I'll read just briefly. It says, for we know that the whole creation groans together and suffers agony together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves also having the first fruits of the spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves while we await eagerly our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. It's not as simple as the glory. There is a pain and a sting in this as well. I mean, it's commonplace to think back to at this point, but, you know, think back to 2020. Remember how the year started with the burning fires in Australia? Just thousands and thousands of square miles just getting devastated by fire. I mean, if you guys were here in Tucson, which I know many of you were, we saw a fire completely ravage Mount Lemmon and miraculously not destroy homes, but a lot of wildlife was destroyed by those fires. Not to mention the obvious low-hanging fruit is that we all experienced a biological pandemic that killed millions of people around the world. Not only that, because of the pandemic, it subjected even more than were immediately impacted with the effects of loneliness, isolation, fear. And honestly, as as Americans, we're incredibly privileged to have the relationship that we do with biological devastation, because in countries with less developed uh, ability to, to provide medical care, we see curable diseases killing millions of people every year, whether it's malaria, tuberculosis, HIV. The same nature that gives us so much to marvel at can also be so ruthless and unflinching. You know, we talked about that beautiful image of a mother holding a child in her hands and the untapped potential that 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 child's life has. Just a life of beauty and growth and wisdom. And then we think of things like childhood trauma and how it doesn't just affect individuals, but it often occurs in a cyclical way. People who experience trauma often form the kinds of coping mechanisms that perpetuate these cycles of trauma to new generations over and over again. The fears and insecurities that we cultivate as little kids become defense mechanisms that push us away from meaningful relationships that make true, loving, self-giving relationships very difficult for us to experience. Again, we talked about this beauty of holding this little baby in your arms, thinking about how the world is just this child's oyster. Yesterday in Jacksonville, a racially motivated shooter killed three African-American people at a dollar store on a Saturday. That shooter was a baby one day, squirming in his mother's arms full of potential. So were the victims, Angela Carr, A.J. Legare Jr., and Gerald Gallian. All of them, killer and killed, snuffed out by the painful groaning of nature. I mentioned a few weeks ago that I recently, about six weeks ago, got a job in uh, working as a hospice chaplain. I'm very sorry that's going to bring a lot of Probably very depressing illustrations to my sermons. Uh, I promise in six months I'll get a fourth job at Build a Bear Workshop or something like that. <laughs> Try to sprinkle in some light. But I'll say this: working in hospice, it uh, it really shows the inevitability of death in a way that I think many of us are comfortable enough to not have to experience. Like, I mean, I'll ask, like, have you guys ever spoken to someone who's telling you about a traumatic life experience they had and they're just venting to you and they're pouring their heart out, but in the back of your mind, you feel a slight bit of comfort because you know that their life experience is so different from yours. It's like, it's like, imagine I came in here and said, guys, we got to pray for, you know, X country in the Middle East because there was X terrorist attack or whatever that happened. There's like a little bit of comfort we get to experience when we pray because we're like, well, shoot, like Tucson, probably not going to have like a crazy car bombing. You know, we get to pray with this layer of, of, of buffer, knowing that there's a certain type of suffering or despair that's actually really far from us. Death is not that. It's not. I mean, like what what I have kind of come to realize when I serve a lot of the patients that I'm working with is, we see these people as being the best case scenario. There's people in their 80s and 90s, and you know who are over a hundred years old, whose bodies are just kind of starting to. Shut down. Like that for us is the best case scenario. These people didn't get cancer at 35. They didn't die in a freak accident. They made it to the end of the road only for the end of that road to be so full of instability. They've spent decades acquiring wisdom and experiences that they no longer have the strength to share with their loved ones if they even have the ability to speak at all. They've spent so many years building beautiful, loving relationships, and oftentimes their minds don't even have the fortitude to remember the people that they care for. Their lungs can't process the air that God is giving them. Their hearts can't beat the blood inside their own bodies. It's kind of a dreadful thing to witness. Nature isn't just potential. Nature isn't just the beauty of the world around us. It isn't just the stars and the cactuses and the ladybugs. It's also the inevitable steep decline. And it's unavoidable. One of my favorite films is about a small-town sheriff, he's trying to catch, you know, the stereotypical bad guy. It's a very violent criminal he's trying to catch. And scene after scene, the sheriff is outmatched and outwitted by this man. The criminal isn't just ruthless, he also possesses basically no moral compass. Without any restraints to hold him back, all of the sheriff's limitations become painfully obvious. There's a line near the end of the film where the sheriff is lamenting about his failures to a loved one, and his loved one says, What you have is nothing new. This place is hard on people. You can't stop what is coming. It's not waiting on you, that's vanity. Some have suggested that this film and the story that inspired it is not so much about a bad guy versus good guy interaction, it's about the unstoppable force of nature. It doesn't matter if we're good or if we're charming or if we're smart. Just like this sheriff, we can't stop what's coming. So how do we respond this very human, very natural scenario? How do we respond to these two stories, one of glory and one of groaning? Some will say it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. It's, uh, this is just the world that we inherited. We shrug it off. We move on. It's fine. And that one's the most tragic because it's, it's not real. Of course it matters. If we didn't if it didn't matter at all, we wouldn't be talking about it if it mattered. Meaningless existence only makes life that much more devastating. That's not a good answer. Some will say, well, I, it does matter. It does matter, and I will, I will take my destiny by the horns. I will seize my own fate. And, you know, more power to you, but I don't think you'll end up the winner at the end of that battle. These solutions don't work. And if we ask why, we can find an answer in in the Christian scriptures. This idea from the author of Ecclesiastes that we have eternity written in our hearts. We recognize. The beauty of the world around us. We also experience the pain and the toil of it. And because of that, we recognize there's something deeper and greater that we long for. And without that thing, we can't be satisfied. We'll always struggle. We'll always fall under the futility of this idea that we can't stop the inevitable. And so here's the last story that we'll end on, and it's the good news. The Christian won't say, it doesn't matter. The Christian won't say, I can can do this myself. The Christian will say, the world is full of God's glory, and its song is full of joy and full of sadness. But the sadness will be turned into happiness, Praise God. He is making all things new. He is turning our sadness to joy. Here's the thing about Romans 8 that we read earlier. The passage is about creation groaning, but it's not groaning like an animal that's about to die. Creation is groaning like a mother about to give birth. It's not the type of groaning that leads to death. It's the type of groaning that comes before new life. Let me read that full passage so we can get some more context. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits It's not good advice. These aren't good rules to follow. It's not a good philosophy. It's proclaiming something that's already done. The good news that life itself, all creation will one day be re-illuminated filled with light and broken from the chains of bondage and corruption. The good news that the world is being restored and repaired. The good news that the great mind behind this cosmos that we live in, this great powerful force calls himself love and expresses himself to his people Through love. The good news that the God who is both King of all kings and Lord of all lords would ask that we call him Father. Good news. And if you're a human surrounded by humans, experiencing the glory and the groaning of creation, then the good news should be a tall glass of water to a thirsty soul. It should be meaningful to us. And if we can awaken the minds of the people around us, we can make it meaningful to them as well. We don't have to go over the top. Like I said, the glory and the groaning are two stories that everyone in this world is aware of. They know about the beauty of what's good in life, and they also know about what's challenging and what's burdensome about it. The thing is, we have a third story called good news, which is a promise that illuminates the life that we have today and promises a better life tomorrow. So let's conclude with the the passage that we started with tonight, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The glory of today will give way to a greater glory tomorrow. And that's very good news. Please pray with me. Father, I uh, thank thank you for good news. Thank you that we are conscious of these stories that we live in, and I pray that of all of them that we would find ourselves most moved by this promise of good news. Because if we attach ourselves to the glory of today, we'll be shattered when we see its limitations. And if we attach ourselves to the groaning of today, then we'll spiral downward. But if we can hitch our wagons to this beautiful good news, this promise of something greater, this illuminating light that shines in darkness, God, we, we can have hope and hope is, is life. Hope is, uh, is a powerful thing. And so God, please give us hope because uh, we all deeply need it. Please give us hope.